1 Peter chapter 5, we take the first four verses here, and you can follow along in your Bibles. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, 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 who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When we take a look at these four, these four verses here in the last chapter, it's, it's in the times of persecution that Peter is writing to the people in Asian Minor. And in these times of persecution, it's calls for God's people to have faithful spiritual leadership around them to encourage them in these difficult times that they will be facing. If judgment is to begin, and it will, Peter says, and it will be intensified or increase in intensity and frequency, which it did and which it does, specifically in, the, in God's house that we saw in chapter 4, verse 17 that he mentions, then that house had better be in order. That God's house better be in order to be able to support the people through the times of tribulation and persecution. If the church is not in order, then the people will suffer even far greater because they will not have strong spiritual leadership to help them and guide them according to the ways or according to God's word. It's which is where we draw our strength from, which is where we get our courage from. It's in that relationship with God. And if the leadership of a church is not strong, it will cause a problem with the sheep and the sheep will get spooked and they will scatter. And so Peter understood this and that's why he's writing these letters to these believers that the house needs to be in order. And if it's not, it will, the, the church will fall apart in these difficult times. And this is why Peter writes a special message to the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, because he needs to encourage them to be faithful to do God's calling on their life. To be an elder, to be a spiritual leader, to be a deacon, it is a calling of God on their life. This is not what they chose to do. And any time when someone chooses to be an elder or chooses to be a deacon and it's all on their own and not a calling of God on their life, watch out. It's just a job. And we will see some stark warnings and, 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 uh, against those who want to make themselves to be in a position of leadership. It never ends well for the people nor the person. Leaders who have a job in the church who run away in times of difficulty are only proving that they are hirelings and not true shepherds. We see that in John chapter 10 verses 12 through 14. So Peter was concerned with the fiery trials that we learned in chapter 4 that are coming. And these fiery trials will refine and will sift out those who were just playing Christianity. They're just a, just a, 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 a facade in their Christianity. They kind of sound like a Christian. They kind of act like a Christian. They got the words down like a Christian. But when the fiery trials come against those because they call themselves a Christian, they'll flee. They'll flee quickly. So will the leadership. If they're not grounded and these fiery trials will begin and the believers, the sheep in these assemblies would look to their elders for encouragement and direction because they're looking for something that what they should do according to God's ways. So in this final chapter, Peter emphasizes new responsibilities within the church in light of the troubled times, their responsibilities 
This is not in the section where you learn what the qualifications are of an elder or a deacon. This is those, those are in other parts of the, of the scripture. But here is some of the responsibilities once there's a calling on your life to be an elder. So in the final chapter, he exhorts, Peter exhorts the elders to be faithful shepherds. Be a faithful shepherd to the people. That which we will see here in verses 1 through 4. In verses 5 and through, it will talk about the proper structure of the church. And that encourage everyone to stand firm in the faith of God. Now here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, we start by, he starts here in that part of the letter. It says, the elder. So he's drawing your attention to who he's writing to in this letter, specifically to the elders that he's writing to of this area in Asian Minor. And it says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I encourage, I bring attention to you of what you're going to, what I want you to understand here in your role in, for, for God's people in the church. He says, I who am a fellow elder, notice that one key thing there, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that we will be revealed. He's a, he's a, fellow, a fellow elder. He's a witness to this. He's a partaker. So Peter is getting across to these elders of what he's about to teach them, about to encourage them, to exhort them, to understand in their role as an elder, I've been where you've been. I'm doing what you've been doing. I'm, this is not something, I'm not just saying it, I've lived it, and I'm now trying to teach you to do the same thing. You must be a faithful sh shepherd. And then then fellow shepherd, he says, I'm a fellow elder. Peter will give this exhortation of the elders who are among these Christian leaders reading this letter. And these elders had special responsibilities that Peter is going to highlight to make sure they understood and addressed within the church. See, in the New Testament assemblies, were organized under the leadership of overseers slash bishop slash elder slash pastor and deacons. We see that noted in the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. And the, based on these qualifications, the elder came into the church in existence. We see this even in the Old Testament. Something not new. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus chapter 3, Exodus 12, and Exodus 19. The Jewish culture highlighted this role of an elder to be the spiritual leader over God's people. And when we studied that on Wednesday nights, you understand that if you've been joining us. But there's different Greek words here that we see in the scripture that all kind of blend into the same role. The first one was the elder, the presbyteros, the bishop, the episcopate, the overseer, the episcopos, the pastor, pomian, all refer to the same office or same calling that God has for to be the spiritual leader for God's people. We see that in Acts chapter 20, Verses 17 and 28. Now the elder, what's the difference? The elder is describes the man that God is calling. The one who will have the maturity, the experience, the history with God working in and through his life. More about the wisdom and maturity than the age. Even though age does come with that because history or experience walking with God brings that maturity. It's hard to have maturity when you're a young, young child. Of course, you don't have the maturity. Even as a young man of a 15 or a 16 or 18, not to say they will not have that maturity and calling on their life, but when they get ordained, that is a question of regards to maturity and making sure they're ready for the responsibility that Peter is even talking about today. The word bishop describes the ministry this man is called to do. And that is to not overlording the people or overburdening the people, but you're to be overseeing the flock of God. That's what it means to be a bishop in the term of this Greek word. To oversee the people and to watch them to, to, and all those. And we'll talk about that in a little more detail. 
The word pastor describes the method of what this man will be doing. And that method is to feed the flock of God, to teach the word of God. So when you say, okay, he's an elder, and sometimes you see that where they call them a pastor, and what's the difference, and why don't you call them the bishop? Again, it's the role. Some people who are called to oversee the flock may not be teaching the word to the flock. Whereas a pastor, that is what their calling is to do, is their ministry, is their method is to teach the word. Now, it was in Paul and Barnabas' practice that we see in Acts 14, 23, where he's appointed, they're appointing elders to the office in the church. They are founded. So as they are finding and starting these new churches, they were putting in place these elders, these men who were called by God to oversee and to, and to teach the word of God to the people. There was also a development of the office of pastor, which was essentially the teaching elder. We see that in 1 Timothy 5.17. And that person was responsible to appoint and to guide other elders and other leaders. We see that in 1 Timothy 3, first part of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. 2 Timothy 2.2 2, and also Titus 1 verses 5 and through 9. But the main point you have to understand is what Peter is communicating to the elders of that day and to the people who are reading that letter is that there is a calling on men's lives to lead and to oversee and to minister and to protect and to teach the word of God to the, God's people. And God makes that decision. But there's these responsibilities that come with it, not just a position, not a title but responsibilities. And he says, I'm a fellow elder here, Peter says in this first verse. And it means I qualify to speak to you other fellow elders about your responsibilities. No, Peter doesn't identify himself as the first pope. Peter was clearly a prominent man within the church. He was leading many other elders in the positions and responsibilities. And God used him by the power of the Spirit to write the words down to teach these men. But he never claimed anywhere in the scripture to be some special privilege or position such as a pope in the early church. That's not what God did. Instead, Peter saw himself right here in his own letter right here that says himself only as a fellow elder. I'm just an elder like your other elders. He didn't put himself on a higher pedestal. He just understood that God had already matured him and brought him to a position of experience and history with God that put him in a position to help others in coming from the calling that God put on their lives as men. Not only is he a fellow elder, he says in this first verse, he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I watched, I saw, I experienced, I know. This is not hearsay. I witnessed this with my own life. And I was also a partaker of the glory that was, will, that was revealed to me, but will be revealed to you other elders that I'm speaking to. You, you weren't there, but I was there. And that's what qualified Peter. Peter was qualified to speak because of his, the fact that he was a witness, a true witness of Jesus' uh, sufferings. He was, that's what made him an apostle. And when he saw Jesus' torture and perhaps the crucifixion, he was also a partaker of Jesus' glory, probably referring to when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, when he saw Jesus arise. But with that experience, watching that and seeing that and doing that, put him in a position to be able to communicate and reinforce the responsibilities of the elders within the church. Now he was with Christ in the garden, if you remembered. He was with him when he was apprehended. <laughs> he didn't mention you know, anywhere about his little little mo moments where he cut off a man's ear you know he, he, he kind of left those little details out but that was part of his history part of experience because he also witnessed God himself Jesus take the ear and put it right back on Malchus 
Now, you don't forget those things in the ministry when you see those kinds of things happen where God is moving. But he was there. Remember, he was also there when he saw Jesus being tortured and being whipped. He couldn't even find himself going in, and he denied Jesus three times. That was an experience that, will never, that would change that man's life. Whether he followed Jesus from that torture cell and taking him to the, uh, to the cross, we do not know for fact, because only in the scripture, the Gospels, does not state Peter personally present at the crucifixion, only the Apostle John. But we do know in Luke 23, 49, that all of his acquaintances and was there at a distance observing and seeing Jesus being crucified. I lean toward that he was there with the women who were following in, in, in Mary Magdalene and others, watching from a distance and not too close. Consider that Peter may have or likely did witness the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. The remembrance of that would make his exhortation to these fellow elders that much more powerful. Because he says, you are leaders of the people for whom Jesus Christ suffered and died and I saw him suffer. And that's why I'm imploring you. That's why I'm pleading to you. Please take your responsibilities seriously as an elder, as a spiritual leader within the church. Because your Savior died for these people. And God's called you to die to, for those people. That's what it means to be an elder. To be that pastor, to die of self and live for the people that God brings in front of you to minister to. So he's imploring to them in this Asian mind that trials are coming, the difficulties are coming, the persecution because you're the faith in Jesus is going to come upon his people. And God has raised you up for a time like this to minister to these people, to encourage these people, and to not leave these people stranded. Be strong and of good courage during these difficult times. We also consider the many saw Jesus suffering. But even though they saw Jesus suffering, that did not affect them in the way that it should have. And they fled Jesus at that, at that crucifixion. Many left Jesus. Many scrambled and took off running because they realized, uh-oh, Jesus is not going to be the king today. He's not going to rule and reign today. I'm not going to be able to be part of this brand new kingdom and get some benefit today. Our Savior just died. Now, if only they would have stuck around and on the third day to see him resurrected. Maybe during the 40 days while Jesus was wandering on this earth, did they see him? Or did, did they flee so far and so wide and just completely disowned, even ever knowing Jesus? We will not know. But he continued, Peter continues here in verses 2 and 3, talking about the leaders in the church and what they must do. The responsibilities of the elders. Very clear, he says, the first thing he says in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God. Who is that flock that he's referring to? Which is among you? I find that very specific and very important because how do I shepherd the flock of God who's not among you? Well, we have technology today. I, 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 I recognize that. But how much more as an elder, to, as a pastor, to be able to personally look into your eyes and to have a meal with you, to weep, literally weep with you, to rejoice with you in the difficulties and also joyful times. But he says, 
shepherd the flock of God who's among you, serving. Notice the word there, serving as an overseer. Again, overseer is another terminology of, 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 of an elder is to oversee and to watch your life. Not by compulsion, but willingly. See, the term flock here in the Greek, in the Bible here, is, is a very instructive one. We were once straying out as sheep, wandering around without a shepherd. Wandering toward the ruin, wandering to going over cliffs in life, following in, falling into pits that are, in, that are set before us. And pits of this thing that the world offers. And we're just like sheep, just uh, wandering around, uh, crying all the time. Wondering what to do is next. And oh, pain and suffering. And then the good shepherd found us. Jesus found you. And restored us to the fold. I hope you don't take that lightly. It's the most grieving thing to watch someone who should be part of the fold wander away where we see the warning is to us all the time about the wolves are waiting for you. And that's why the shepherd needs to watch over the flock of God because the very first aspects of leadership Peter seems to remember, if you remember in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, there's a, Jesus imparts a three-part commission to him. And he didn't forget it. And in those passages, passages, Jesus told Peter to show his love for Jesus by what? Feeding the sheep. Attending to the sheep. That, that the sheep that have, God has brought to him. That you must feed them. You must tend to them. Their needs. They're going to have needs. They're always going to have needs. And you're going to need to do that. Because as a spiritual faithful shepherd does his calling and does his responsibilities, there's these two main things that he must do, and that is to feed the sheep, and the other one is to tend the sheep, which means protecting and guiding and nurturing and caring for the sheep. And sometimes the sheep doesn't tell the shepherd what their needs are. That's why it's so important the shepherds know the sheep. We had to protect the sheep from the thieves and the raiders. And the, and the pastor must protect God's people for those who want to destroy the flock. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 38. Read that today. It's a powerful, powerful verses for, for those who are in a position of leadership. But remember, everything I'm talking about also pertains to you as the pastor of your house. Fathers, this is pertaining to you and everything I'm teaching you today. You're to watch over the flock that God has given you, your wives and your children. So don't miss the application here for you men. Sometimes the sheep do not like it when you have to correct them or change the direction that they want to go. Your flock will rebel against you because they haven't bought in. They, they really want to do their own thing. They want to go to the other pasture. They want to get over near the cliff. They want to wander over by the woods. And as a shepherd, you're saying, no, come back, come back, you need to come back over here. And you have to take that little hook and kind of bring them back on some of them. But sometimes the sheep do not like it when their shepherd rebukes and warns them. But this ministry is what God's called them to do. So you can go against the shepherd all you want. You're ultimately going against God because God has told them to do what they're doing. As long as they're warning you in love and encourage you in love. But always in truth. 
A faithful shepherd not only protected this flock, but he also led them from pasture to pasture so that they might have adequate feeding. The shepherd always went before the flock. They never were behind the flock. They always led the flock, and they made sure it was safe wherever they were taking them. How important it is for pastors to lead their people into green pastures of the word of God. That they might safely feed and grow upon what is good and right. The most important tool a shepherd of the flock of God can have is a heart that is like the heart of Jesus. One that is willing to give one's life for the sheep. Who genuinely cares about the sheep and interested in the sheep. Who love the sheep. We see that in John chapter 10 verses 11 through 14. Sometimes it's necessary for faithful servants, a faithful shepherd to seek out a wandering sheep and to give it personal attention. That is what a pastor is to do, to give personal attention where the attention is needed. Some pastors today are interested only in the crowds. They have no time for individuals. Jesus preached a great multitudes. Yes, he preached great multitudes, but it didn't stop Jesus from personally bringing attention to one person at a time. Ask Nicodemus. In John 3, ask the woman at the well in John 4. And how Jesus would reach out and touch that one person and their lives were changed. And many others we see in the scripture where Jesus took the time of the man who was with leprosy. Can you imagine if Jesus was like, I only deal with crowds. I only come and show up when the crowd is ready. Get them ready because they're coming to see me. I'm ready to just give them my wisdom and like make sure they're really wowed. But that's not a true elder. That's not the only responsibility of an elder. Elder is to also be able and willing and desire to be involved as needed into the individual lives of the people. And to minister to them individually. To let them know that he knows them. And cares for them. And available to them. Even Paul ministered to the people personally and loved them dearly, we see in 1 Thessalonians 2.11. And if the sheep is too rebellious, not this group of sheep, no. None of you are rebellious. Other sheep and other flocks and other places. If the sheep is too rebellious, the shepherd may have to discipline him in some way. And a sheep has a special need. The shepherd may carry over its shoulders until there's a bonding, until they are recuperated from the tragedy. Faithful shepherd would know each of his sheep by name and would understand their special traits of each one. And it's not easy. It's not easy to be a faithful shepherd of God's people. It's a full of tasks that never ends. The demands never end. But with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the ministry is completing, being completed. It is being done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, a pastor, an elder, cannot do the ministry. It's only a matter of time they will be, get burnt out and they will leave the ministry. Just came back from a pastor's conference of three days of being refreshed and hearing the teaching of the word of God and hearing the statistics of how many pastors leave daily from the ministry across. It's shocking. Go through any communities and see church building after church building after church building closing up. 
how many people are going out there and trying to to go beyond what God called them to do just to try to fill in the gap. But if you're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to come to the end. You're never going to make it in the ministry. Because serving as overseers, as Peter talks about, the the job of being a shepherd could also be understood as being an overseer. Why? Because it's like a manager, a supervisor, watches over the the doings or all the things that need to take place into taking care of a flock. Acts 20, verse 28. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2. Titus 1.7. These are things that talk about an overseer watching and looking at every little detail. Which means the mind is always going. Always looking and always checking and always looking here. Asking questions and making sure everything's fine. And is the temperature right? Is it, do we have the toilet paper in place? I mean, you're constantly looking for every little detail to make sure the sheep are comfortable. But then to make sure there's no distractions and no issues that would hinder you to be able to receive what the Holy Spirit had for you today. This is a full-time thoughts process. It's constantly. It doesn't end and start. You know, so many times people say, oh, what does a pastor do? He only shows up on a Sunday, and it's only for about an hour or 30 minutes. Well, maybe other churches, but that's not happening here. Because most people, and you don't need to, sheep don't need to know what everything a shepherd's doing. How many times over the years? What does a pastor do? He just sits and reads all day. But here's the more, the thing that's important in the verses here for me, and for me as a as a as an elder, and for you under, to understand. Because really, the scripture's speaking to me today, right? If I am simply overseeing. But I'm not among you as the people to whom I'm supposed to be ministering to. This is what happens to a pastor. They become untouchable. They become distant. And they become detached from the people. If I'm just going to be an overseer and just manage the bookwork, the paperwork, And on the other side of that coin, if I'm just part of the gang, just part of the sheep and just hanging out with the sheep and acting like the sheep, good or bad, blending in, acting the same way, talking the same way, doing everything, you wouldn't even know the difference. Then I put myself at risk that I would not have the authority to oversee as what I'm told to do. I won't speak love to you in tr- truth and love to you because I'd be I'd be want to be more comfortable wanting to be included into the gathering of people. But Peter's solution here is right here in the scripture. He says not to by compulsion but willingly. A faithful s- shepherd should not do their job by compulsion. As if they were being forced into the task of being the pastor. That they're they're absolutely hate doing what they're doing as a pastor, but I have to do it because if I don't do it, then I'm not going to get paid. And if I don't get paid, then I I won't be able to get my benefits. And if I don't get my benefits, I won't be able to have this. What else am I going to do in my life? And I've been doing it. That is a very sad place to be if you're a pastor, an elder, and you're being compulsed. You're being forced because you're forced to do it because you can't do anything else. And how many pastors I have met or elders or reverends name the title. And I listen to them and, and it's just a job to them. They don't. They don't see the fact that it's a calling. They just, it's a job. They're being compulsed to do it, even though they hate showing up. It's this job mentality. 
But Peter's saying to the elders, you are to serve them willingly. You can't wait to serve God's people. If you cannot have that attitude, get out of the ministry. Get out of the ministry because you're hurting God's people. Let God raise some other man up that has the heart and willingly and desires to serve God's people. There are three inherent dangers in the ministry. One is laziness. That's the very first danger. Just barely doing what is minimum to just get paid. I met a pastor several years ago. Greed my heart. Never been to his church before, but we had a special event that I was asked to be part of. And, and I was big building, huge. It was a denomination. It was big. It was large. It was very fancy. It was very, it obviously had uh, resources and big big congregation but I'm a kind of ask the question kind of guy because I'm always like to learn I like to see I wish I never asked the questions because that first thing out of his mouth was you know tell me what's your day like as a, as a pastor of such a large congregation I don't know I've got people that take care of the the day-to-day operations, I just, I teach. I said, you just teach, that's all you have, you have that many people on staff (laughs) that you don't have to do anything? He says, yeah, I just have to teach. And then he described his resume, or not his resume, um, the job description. Job description? Yeah, he had a job description. He applied for the position. And that job description told him that he only had to teach this many times a year. He only had to be a show up to these type of meetings, only a certain amount, of, uh, you, know, court, you know, financial meetings like only so many times a year. Beyond that, he didn't have to do any of that. And oh, by the way, I made sure the board knew that my wife wasn't a two for one. She had to be paid too if she was going to do anything within the church. If you know me, I, you, you, you know what I, what's going on inside this head of mine, right? Oh, the Lord held my tongue. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. So your wife doesn't serve in the church? No, she doesn't serve in the church. She takes care of me. That's what her number one ministry is. Yes, I got that. But nothing in the body of Christ? No. Okay. This is interesting to me. Because all I've known is what the scriptures told me. And as an elder, you are there for the sheep regardless of what's going on. That you're going to show up. You're not going to be lazy. You're going to do whatever it takes that God is leading you to do to to oversee and to minister to the sheep. And the larger it goes, yes, we have to raise up more elders to be able to help you in lifting your hands up to minister to the people. Deacons to take care of the, of the, the, the structural things that are going on and overseeing those things. But he not only are you to do that willingly, not lazily, but we see the second challenge, and that is not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. A faithful shepherd should not do their ministry for dishonest gain. The gain is dishonest because their motive is wrong and why they're an elder. Why they want to serve or be in that, have that position that title. It's not so that you can have a job. It's not because you think it's the easiest job. It's not because you can have all whatever people can somehow serve you. They obviously don't know the Greek, the Latin, Aramaic, or plain English. We are to serve you. You're not here to serve me. I'm here to feed you and to watch over you as a flock. You're not here to serve and feed to me. But how many people in the positions of authority are looking to be treated somehow 
some higher position, put up on a pedestal in some type. But they have the second danger in the ministry is covetousness. Not only is it laziness, then there's this covetousness. Because they're looking for gain from the ministry of what they can get out of the ministry and not what they can eagerly put into the ministry. But we also see that is really the third danger, is it not? Even that is the fact that you're expecting and demanding to be served than to serve. And that's why Peter in verse 3 gives another third warning here, and that is, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. That means someone is coming. It's like a parent bringing your child to a babysitter. I'm entrusting you to you for this period of time to watch my baby while we go out on a date night. You're entrusting them to your, the babysitters. You're entrusting them to the school if you take your kids to school. You're entrusting them to the grandparents, which is perfect Perfect protection, of course. But you're, they're entrusting them to take care of the child for a period of time. God brings people to a particular assembly of people, and God is saying, Corey, do you see their eyes? Do you see their faces? I'm entrusting them, my people, to you. You better be faithful, Corey. Because I'm watching everything you say and do to these people. And are you teaching them? Are you feeding them? Are you attending them? Are you loving them? Are you encouraging them? Are you there for them? Just a little pressure. Just a little. But Peter understood and recognized when you put a man in a position of power, position of authority, and says that you have a calling on your life and you are entrusted to now feed the flock, it can go to people's heads. And it will cause elders and Peter's warning them, you are not to lord over the people. Do not be overbearing, because we see in the scripture here that faithful shepherds should not do their job as lords because the sheep do not belong to them. They belong to God. The sheep are entrusted to them. Therefore, shepherds are to serve by being examples, being examples to the flock. That's what I need you to do. I don't need you to lord over them. I need you to be examples so that they'll be willing to follow you, to learn and to grow and mature in their faith and trust in God because you're an example to them. Because you're mature, you have been grown up, you've experienced God working in and through your life. You've been radically changed and people need to see that God can change a person's life. Remember, as a pastor, I'm not some reverend, right, most holy bishop, lord over the first. I don't have that name, I don't have that title. I'm a shepherd. The lowest position of that category during that period of time, the lowest position of class you can have in that time was to be a shepherd. We see this section of of Peter's letter here matches very well to Ezekiel 34. I encourage you to go back and read Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through, I'll say the first 10, just read Ezekiel 34. Shepherds who serve with false motives care only for themselves and neglect the flock. We see that in Ezekiel 34 verses 2 and 3. When they have the wrong false motives of why they're in the position they're in, they will take and they will take whatever they can get for themselves and they will neglect the people. Ezekiel indicates false shepherds who have ruled with them by force and cruelty, lording over. That warning is in verses 4 and 5. 
And what that does, it will cause the sheep to scatter. And the sobering fact is, is that pastors are examples to the flock. We live in a fishbowl. Everyone has the ability to see and appear into your life personally. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not called by God to do become an elder. And if you're married, that includes your wife and your children, and it's not easy. I'm the one that's called, but they get the after effects many times because of my calling. It's not easy to be in the ministry. It's interesting to see how a congregation takes on the personality of its pastor in both good ways and bad ways. And so the responsibility is great in how my behavior and character is because I know if you hang with me long enough, you will, will pick up on my bad ways and hopefully my good ways only. But the fact that God has entrusted me with people's lives is like a new parent. Oh, we're, we're, we're pregnant. Isn't it great? Let's celebrate. Oh, we have a baby. We're going to have a delivery soon. Oh, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. Oh, I'm sure this is going to be fine. I think the biggest shock is when you're holding that baby and it's just you and her and the baby all by yourself. And you're like, what do we do now? Sometimes that's as a pastor. God bringing people is like, now what do I do now? But thankfully, in the word of God, gives me my instructions. Gives me what I'm supposed to feed you. I don't have to decide what you are going to like or not like. I'm, the, I'm, going, to, I'm going to feed you the pure, best food. No, no preservatives, no additives, no taking out the good stuff and putting in the bad stuff like we do in our food. We're just going to purely read the word simply and digest what God has already given us. Amen? It's when you add the preservatives and you start adding and deleting from the word of God. It's when you become unhealthy. That's why we want to go line upon line, precept upon precept, as the scriptures say, because we want you the whole counsel of God so you can apply it to your life and be healthy. But I'm not going to lord over you to do that. There is a thing called grace, and I allow you to have grace and to allow you to have the ability to grow as God leads you. And I just do my part in feeding you and being available to you and encouraging you to continue to be in the word of God and in fellowship. But it's your responsibility. You're still accountable to God on an individual basis. I just want to be the examples that you can see that if you will continue to show up regardless of how you feel and stay in the word of God and stay in prayer and stay in fellowship, you too will grow and mature in your walk with God. You're not here to be entertained. You're not here to be in some programs and think those programs are going to be the magic little touch for you. I assure you they do not. Only the word of God can transform your mind. Only the word of God and the fellowship of believers who are using the spiritual gifts that God has given them in your life is what transforms your life. And yes, pastors have the the privilege of repeating themselves over and over and over and over and over. As a parent, do you not repeat yourself over and over and over and over to your kids? And one day you pray that they're going to get it and they're going to apply it and actually grow and mature and have their own kids? Be examples of the flocks, Peter's saying. He's exhorting the elders to be examples or a, a types or patterns to serve as models for the sheep, for the people to see and to follow. But he's not to do it by driving force. 
It's not by some manipulations and, and games and, and challenges and, and we're going to have this kind of, you're going to go out and evangelize and if you come back, we're going to give you this many gold stars and you get a special position, a special, special place in sitting in the pews and you'll get your name on the whatever. Those are all just manipulations. It's not biblical. You, as you grow and mature, you will naturally, the Holy Spirit's going to work through your lives to touch the lives of other people around you. You will evangelize. See, this is not about a dictatorship. Because if I was in a dictatorship position, all I would say to you is go. Go and do. But that's not what God's called an elder to do. He's called to be a spiritual leadership where it says, let's go. The pastor should be out there in front leading you in whatever the task is needed to oversee the flock and do whatever it takes to take care of the flock. I don't sit there and say, you know the ten things that need to be done? Go do it. I'll sit here. Let me know when it's done. No. Shepherd's out in the field. Shepherd's with the sheep. The shepherd is watching over and making sure as we're doing and moving around from place to place, it is protected so the wolves stay out. The sheep are in unity and stay together. Those who are sick, he attends to personally. He takes who are sick, we set them aside and make sure they're Okay, that person I have to carry on my shoulder for the next several days until they're healed. How does that translate today? Texting, calling, coffee time. When do I get to see you next? I'm thinking of you. I mean, it's just all kinds of ways you try to get, make sure you encourage them because you recognize they're hurting. And when pastoring, a true leader is involved in whatever he's teaching and helping others to do. He's absolutely involved with the people. If someone comes to you and says, Pastor, we're hurting. We're having a problem. Where do we, where, how, can you help me? The last thing I need to do is say, oh, go down to the street and go get in a number. Let me, there's a counseling session down somewhere. Are you kidding me? Where, why would I send you to some place to get counseling when I got God's word to help you to understand? Just you need to apply it. I'm going to help you. Why would I send you anywhere else? If I do, I'm not the elder. Are you with me? Regardless of how I feel, it may be very uncomfortable to have a conversation, but I'm going to do it anyway regardless of how I feel because that is what God's called me to do. And I have all the authority and all the resources available to knowing it changed my life, it can change yours. But I'm not going to force you to do it. It's going to be an example to you how to do it. Paul put it this way for the, his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.12. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, and in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Every aspect of his life. Timothy, you must demonstrate this. You must be an example in these areas because people are watching your lives and it will affect them. Biggest question as a pastor, and I ask myself as a pastor, and it's not easy. If everyone in Calvary Chapel was exactly like me, what kind of church would we have? If everyone prayed like I prayed for, for the body of Christ, how much as I do, whatever that may be, I know how much. How much prayer would we have in the church, if I'm not a praying person and for the body of Christ, then we won't have anyone praying for the body of Christ. If everyone came to morning worship and been part of the worship consistently as much as I do, how, much would, how many would more would be coming? 
If everyone gave and tithed exactly like I do, how much would be able to invest in the kingdom if everyone matched what I was doing? If everyone served others on a Sunday, in that Sunday school, teaching the hearts of all ages about God to the same degree that I am teaching from the pulpit, how much bigger would the church be and how much stronger and healthier would it be? Or would we be meeting in a park bench on Thompson Park or we would not be meeting at all? See, this is a very important question I have to ask myself as a pastor or any elder that comes on staff and part of the church here that God's calling is are you willing to open up your life so that they can see that you pray, that you worship, that you give, that you serve? Because if you don't do those, the people then won't do those. They won't learn by example how to do those things. And they won't grow, and if they don't grow, then the church does not grow. Because healthy sheep begot healthy sheep. Did you know that? A church grows when healthy sheep, spiritually healthy sheep, then turn around and reach the lost and encourage those in the faith because their life was changed. They now have something to share with someone else and let them know that God can change their life. And in verse 4, we see the reward of the leaders in the church. There is a reward for being in, called by God and to go through then take these responsibilities seriously. It says, and when the chief shepherd, and in your Bible it should be a capital C and a capital S for deity, appears, Jesus Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's the encouragement for me. It may be difficult, but you're going to continue because you're going to receive the crown of glory, Corey. You may not recognize any rewards here, and that is totally fine because I've got you. It's all about eternity. And Peter reminded the shepherds in the church that they would answer one day to the chief shepherd. Why? Because the chief shepherd oversees all his sheep. And they're going to look in, God's going to look in my eyes and say, Corey, what did you do with the flock that I gave you? And I'm going to be held responsible for that, of what I did or did not do. The time is coming when all things I have done are going to be tested by fire. And I will stand before the Lord, my Lord Jesus Realizing I could have been more generous or more serving or more this or more freely doing this or loved you more, prayed for you more, taught you more diligently. All of that is going to come to fruition to in front of me and say, I could have done more for you. May I be faithfully praying for you. Faithfully giving and worshiping and serving and loving as if the chief shepherd is coming back. Today. It's important, my brothers and sisters, for shepherds, for pastors, and for you to realize that, that they are leading Jesus' sheep. Fathers, you are leading God's sheep. Do you recognize as fathers the role and responsibility to lead spiritually your children? He is the shepherd. He is the overseer. He is the true shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. All these titles, the chief shepherd, these are important because when Christ returns, his faithful under-shepherd, which is what I am, under-shepherd, will share in his glory. In 1 Peter 5, 1, as he noted, also will receive an unfading inheritance, we read in 1 Peter 1, 4. This is, remember, in the, when they won a competition, it was a, just a, a, a vine, a leaf, a, a, like a, it went around their head. But those 
that greenery that was a crown for them for winning would just fade away. It would deteriorate. It's only a matter of time. But the crown of glory will never fade. It will never deteriorate. This is for eternity. But we also know in the scriptures as when we receive the crowns, we tend to turn around and we cast them right back out to the feet of our Lord Jesus, our Savior. We don't deserve any of those crowns. But out of love, he still gives us those rewards. But to, for us to then turn right around and worship him with them all. A Christian under shepherd doesn't work for the sheep. A pastor does not work for the sheep. He works for the chief shepherd. God determines what he will or will not do. In the position, in the position, the place of as an elder, God determines that. Faithful shepherds are promised a crown of glory. Oh, I can't wait. But crowns are not only for shepherds, but also for everyone who is faithful to Jesus and who can do what he called them to do. We see that in 1 Corinthians 9.25. You will receive crowns. 2 Timothy 4.8. And also James 1.12. Amen.